All right, so you all have that friend, right, who you don't challenge them to do anything because they'll do it, you know? It's like you don't, you, don't tell, you don't say things like, oh, you can't jump over that roof, you know, you can't jump off the roof and land on your feet because they'll do it. I had a friend like this. He was the guy that you would always expect a good time from. He was, out, he was super cool, and looking back now, I realized that a lot of the dumb decisions he made were my fault. For instance, <laughs> okay, so we're hanging out together, and I go to the pantry to pick up some food because I'm hungry, and I thought, you know what? I would think it'd be really fun to make my friends eat a dog biscuit today, so here's what I'll do. I'll bring with me a box of crackers. Well, I won't bring it with me. I'll put the box of crackers in the dog biscuit box. And then I'll just nonchalantly walk up to my friends and proceed to pull out something from the box and eat it. They'll see, oh, it's a dog biscuit box. Rod's eating dog biscuits. And of course, they'll be interested and want to know, like, oh, you're eating dog biscuits? What's the deal with that? And I'll say something like, oh, it's great. So that's what I did. So I took some crackers, put them in the dog biscuit box, as well as having the dog biscuits at the bottom. And then I went up to them, started talking, and we were talking about who knows whatever. Pull out something, I eat it real quick so they don't see what I'm actually holding. So I eat it, and my friend, the one that does all the stuff that, (laughs) the bad stuff, he's like, dude, are are you eating dog biscuits? I said, yeah, man, they're delicious. Have you ever tried one? And of course, at this moment, I have to sell it. I have to sell it because if he's, gonna, he's not going to do it if he thinks I'm joshing him, right? So I say, yeah, dude, they're amazing. Like, you'd be surprised. No wonder dogs love these things, man. Try it. And not only that, but it cleans your teeth and gives you better breath. And so, he's, so, so he says, all right, I'll give it a shot. And so then I proceed to get, I put my hand in the box and take out a dog biscuit, bypassing all the crackers that I put inside, and I gave him the dog biscuit. At this point, my other friend, who was, who was there watching the whole thing, he's on to me. Like, I don't know how he knew, because I was giving him my best acting shot, but he was on to me. So he had a choice. He could say, no, man, don't eat that. Rod's messing with you. But instead, he said, yeah, that's amazing. You should do that. <laughs> so, so my friend, and I, I won't mention his name, because we still talk every now and then. So he proceeds to take a big old bite out of the dog biscuit. <laughs> It only took a few seconds for him to realize that I was just lying out my teeth. He almost vomited, vomited it out. But at that point, it was so hilarious. It, it, it was one of those moments that I'm like, I'm never going to forget this for the rest of my life. And that's been true. That happened in high school. There was another time when me and these, this friend were, were hanging out, and we're at, the, we're at the local hangout spot. It's like an outdoor mall. And there was, a, uh, there was this fountain there that a lot of homeless people like to hang around. And so we said, hey, dude dare you to drink that. And he said, no way, not a chance, never in your wildest dreams. And then we said, we'll give you five bucks. He's all right, I'm in. <laughs> so he goes up to this, this, and I have to describe this fountain. Like, it's imagine dirty, stale water, because the fountain was never running. The fountain was never, it, the fountain was always perpetually broken. It's one of those things, like, why has no one fixed this? Anyway, the fountain was broken, and so the water was kind of stale and murky looking. I mean, it looked drinkable, in a very, like, if, like if, if a, catast- a catastrophe happened, you would drink it then. Is that kind of drinkable? Uh, but he goes up to it, and he's like, man, are you guys sure about this? And we said, totally safe, man. Just do it. Don't even think about it. You think about it too long, you're not going to drink it. And you know you want to, and we want you to, and here's five bucks, so we'll give you the five bucks. And so he leans down and 
takes a big old swig of the fountain water. Cut to a few minutes later, we're walking around the same place, because he, he, his stomach started churning, of course, because it was, it was disgusting water. Um, we were talking to one of the security guards. Don't ask me why. I have no idea why. I just remember this conversation. And we were like, yeah, our friend, I almost said his name, our friend just drank the water out of the fountain. He said, really, did you do that? And he said, yeah, I did. He said, that was dumb. I saw someone peeing in there just a few minutes ago. <laughs> Needless to say, uh, that memory began etched in my mind as one of the best experiences of my life. Maybe not for him. But I also learned some, again, I'm responsible for a lot of the things my friend did back in the day because he trusted us. And, and our love for him, uh, <laughs> our, love, our love manifested in peer pressure that benefited me more than it did him. Peer pressure is kind of an issue. It never goes away. Uh, in fact, peer pressure is probably one of those terms that you know. I mean, it's like the don't do drugs commercials. You, you've seen stuff all over the place where your teachers tell you don't give in to peer pressure and all those things. But what I want to do is look at that from a biblical perspective. I want you to understand how peer pressure works and how to fight that because it's real. That's a real thing. Peer pressure is a, is a real phenomenon that says when other people are doing things, you have a natural tendency to want to do the thing that they're doing. You want to fit in. You don't want to stand out for the wrong reasons. You want to look a certain way so that you don't stand out looking like an idiot. In fact, uh, another way that the Bible talks about this concept is a few ways. One, one way that the Bible talks about it is a fear of man. A fear of man. Uh, People-pleasing is another term that it is used. Um, but all of these things talk about uh, the way in which we interact with people around us. That peer pressure is a fear of man and desire to please others, but in, in bad ways. In fact, I can prove to you that all of you are, are people pleasers. In fact, one of the, the websites you're going to look at tonight comes from a, uh, psychologytoday.com. Like, I never go to this website, but uh, I was looking up people pleasing tendencies, and this one came up, and I thought, oh, this is helpful. So here's 10 things, 10 signs that you might be a people pleaser. Okay, you ready for this? Let me prove to you, all of you that you need to hear this sermon. Number one, you pretend to agree with everyone. Has that ever happened to you? Like, you don't agree. That, that wasn't a good movie. Harry Potter is not that good. But your friends think it's good, so you're like, oh, I guess it's a great movie. I mean, throwing my cards out there for you to know. Here's another one. You feel responsible for how others feel. Now, I would say there's a godly virtue to that. There could, that could be a godly thing. Uh, but not where you feel inherently responsible, solely responsible for how they're thinking and feeling. Here's another one. You apologize often. I, I knew someone who would say, I'm sorry for everything. Like, uh, uh, it's hot in here. Oh, I'm sorry. What did, you, did you put it out to heat? <laughs> Are you responsible? They just had that natural tendency to say, I'm sorry, because they felt like they, they were in some way infringing on your life. You apologize often. You feel burdened by things that you have to do. Um, here's how they decide to define it. You're in charge of how you spend your time, but you're a people pleaser, uh, and that's a good chance that your schedule is filled with activities that you think other people want you to do. Here's another one. This is a big one. You can't say no. You have trouble saying no to people. You have trouble saying, no, I, I can't do that, or I won't do that. That's not my jam. Here's another one. You feel uncomfortable if someone is angry at you. Now, again, I think there's a good way that that's a, that's a positive thing. That's also a negative thing if you're overly concerned about that. Here's another one, number seven, and this one I'm sure that you guys can relate to, you act like the people around you. You act like the people around you. There's a positive sense of that, and there's also a very negative sense in which you please people. It's a, it's a sinful fear of man. I don't want to look different. I don't want to sound different. I want to use the same words I use, and if I act and sound like a Christian, people are going to judge me and think I'm terrible. Here's another one. You need praise 
to feel good. You need people to affirm you, otherwise you're terribly insecure. You don't, you don't feel like you fit in until people tell you you fit in. You don't feel like you're liked until people tell you you're liked. Um, you're very insecure. Here's another one. You go to great lengths to avoid conflict. Does that sound like any of you? You're unwilling to have that super serious conversation with somebody because you know it's not going to be fun. It's going to be painful. And in fact, they might be upset with you if you bring up the thing that, they're, uh, that, that you have to talk about. Number 10 is the last one. You don't admit when your feelings are hurt. You don't want to cause a, a kerfuffle, and so you just, I'm not even going to bring it up. I'm terribly upset. I'm mad. I may never come back to True North because I'm so mad, but I don't want to bring it up because I don't want to cause trouble. You might be a people pleaser. All of these are signs, and that's not a definitive sign. What I wanted to point out to you with that short list is to help you see this is a real thing. And honestly, as an adult, like I'm twice your age, it doesn't change a whole lot. It matures and it looks differently at my stage of life than yours. But if you don't learn to deal with this now, you're going to struggle with this for the rest of your life. And here's the thing. Let me put the cookies on the bottom shelf for you. Let me put the cookies on the bottom shelf. Peer pressure can make you do things you never want to do. Okay? Now, just like my friend who shall remain nameless, drank from the dirty fountain and ate a dog biscuit. That could be you, <laughs> unless you have a way of processing peer pressure and saying to yourself, self, how am I going to honor God with the people around me and do the thing that you call me to do, as opposed to giving in to those things? You need a strategy. You need a strategy to respond in those situations so that you can better honor and serve the Lord. And here's, here, here's, the, here's the antidote, ready? The antidote to fear of man is trust in God. Simple. You could have guessed that. In fact, based on the verse that we're going to look at tonight, I'm sure you could have put that together in your own mind. But here's the thing. I really want something that can be sticky with you so that when you go back to school uh, this week and you start interacting with people and you feel that tendency to want to cave in to peer pressure, you have something to, ha to hang your hat on. The antidote to fear of man is trusting God. Fear of man, trusting God. It, it sings songy. You can remember this. It's easy. But let, let's look at Proverbs 29, 25 together. I want you to see how easy this passage is, but also how profound it is. It's got riches in it that you would never guess unless you were paying close attention. So go with me there. Proverbs 29, verse 25. We only have one verse tonight. So this is going to be a shorter sermon, maybe. We'll see. But I think it's going to be a shorter sentence. Here's how it starts. You guys ready? Now, let me just give you a heads up. Hebrew poetry is not like you and I think about poetry, okay? Most of the poetry that we interact with uh, has rhyming schemes, and it has a, uh, like, da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da, like that rhythm. You know, you get that, right? That's kind of modern poetry. But in Hebrew poetry, their big key is parallelism, okay? Parallelism. And here's what it looks like. It says this, the fear of man lays a snare. Idea here is that the, uh, when you are uh, letting people control your life with fear, it's like if you think about fear of man as a person, it's like he's saying, yeah, follow me. And here's a trap that you could just put your foot in and get, get caught. The fear of man lays a snare. It's a trap for you. That's line number one. Line number two is the opposite. And now Hebrew parallelism can work in a lot of ways, but this is saying... Um, this is the one thing, but here's the other. Here's the contrast. But whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. And now if you just take a, a few moments to pay attention to that, uh, you can notice that the, the parallelism here gives you a balance. On the one side, you have fear of God. On the other side, you have trust, or not fear of God, fear of man. And the other side, you would expect fear of God. It doesn't go there. 
We'll talk about that in the second point. But the first one here, the fear of man lays a snare. Now, uh, the word snare is, is a trap. Um, it's more specifically, at this time and age, it was usually thought of a bird trap, a way that you would trap an animal. Today we have different kinds of traps too, right? You have mouse traps. This is probably the one that you're most familiar with. You would put something, a bait in the middle so that the animal is attracted to that thing, and then they unawares find themselves busted. The bait, and that's a real mouse, you're welcome. The bait is only there as a means to draw you in so that you are caught off guard and taken. In today's day and age, traps, the traps are not always evident. That's what makes them good traps, right? The fear of man isn't always an evident reality for us. But for us, the fear of man might be a way for us to be, uh, to be, to be wealthier, to have uh, power or persuasion with people, for us to have uh, attractiveness to others. You know, the, the bait is going to look different. The fear of man provides a reward that can be different all the time. One of them, again, is social acceptance. And this is probably one of the most difficult ones that you'll encounter. The fear of man lays a snare. One of the snares is, hey, you'll be cool. We'll like you. We'll invite you to Hoko. Uh, we'll, you'll be cool. You'll come to someone's house. You'll, you'll be socially accepted. You'll have social credibility, social capital. You'll get more followers. Um, that's one way that, so that, that the fear of man works. But again, notice that it's a trap. Some of the traps are so good that you never really notice that they're there. One of those traps is a sticky trap. A sticky trap is something that um, is attractive. Uh, again, there's a bait there. Sometimes it has a certain smell that draws animals to it. But the sticky trap is largely invisible to the animal itself. They go to the trap, and then their, their paws or whatever it is that the animal is being caught by is stuck to the thing, and they just sit there and they die. Your job is to kill them. Unless you, know, you let them there long enough, then they'll just die of hunger. This poor rat here was caught by the trap and, and no longer is able to get out because that t- sticky tape is really sticky snare. The fear of man is a trap, a snare for you. In fact, let's just take a look once more. The fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. Now, here's what I want to say. This is a simple point. Point number one, I'm going to put it like this. You need to resist the trap of people pleasing. It is a trap. It has baits. It has a hook. It will hurt you if you're not paying attention. And again, one of the best traps are the traps that you don't know are there. You need to resist the trap of people pleasing. There is a call and allurement to it that says, look, if you come and you do the things that we say, you'll be accepted, you'll have a better job, you'll have a better position in your school, whatever it is. People pleasing is a trap. You need to remember that. You may not know this person, but her name is uh, Private First Class Lindy England. Several years ago, Lindy was assigned a post in a prison in Afghanistan, excuse me, Iraq, rather. She became well-known because pictures began to emerge of her, how shall I put this, torturing Iraqi prisoners. Please don't bother looking it up, now or even after. They're they're terrible. They're terrible pictures. She was torturing them. So, of course, the judge says, Lindy, private first-class Lindy, uh, England, how did this happen? How did you get yourself into this mess? And she said, well, at first, you know, people were asking me to do this. They told me, hey, come, come and do this thing, this terrible, awful thing with this prisoner. And she says, at first, no, no way, uh, but they were being very persistent, and they were bugging me. So I said, okay, whatever. She goes on to say, well, that's why I had to take these awful photos. That's why I did these awful things. And then she ends her 
talked with the judge, and she says, look, I, I had a choice, but I chose to do what my friends wanted me to. And it wasn't just once, it was several times. And here's the thing. What you need to understand is that people-pleasing, on the surface, can be really appetizing. Like, oh, that's cool. I enjoy that. That makes me happy to be part of the crew. But it has a bait that leads to a hook that ultimately hurts and destroys you. And so you need to be aware that people-pleasing is not neutral. There's always a, uh, a slant to it that's going to hurt you. Now, here are some reasons why you should not give in to people-pleasing. I said it's a trap. Let me highlight some of the trap-type elements. The first one comes out of Isaiah 53, verse 6. Let me just make this simple observation. In Isaiah 53, 6, uh, the prophet Isaiah talks about people, and he says, look, all we, all of us, like sheep, have gone astray. And every single one of us have turned, all of us, to his own way. Here's what you need to know by that. Whenever you give yourself over to uh, following the crowd or giving in to peer pressure, what you're essentially doing is following someone else who is themselves lost and blind. Whenever you give yourself over to that. Now, I know, I know what you're thinking. You might be saying, well, what about if they're, if they're a Christian? It's Christian. Uh, they're a Christian and they want me to come to church with them. Isn't that a peer pressure? Isn't that the same thing? That's different. That's not what I'm talking about tonight. The peer pressure that I'm referring to is the kind of peer pressure that says, look, uh, compromise your faith in Christ, do something different, use this swear word, uh, listen to this music, watch this movie, engage in this kind of shady behavior. Uh, but essentially what you need to recognize is that people who are living a life that is antithetical to, Christian, to the Christian life is someone who doesn't know what they're doing. I know that's offensive. And for some of you who are not Christians in this room, you might find that to be kind of a, kind of a, a terrible thing to say. But that's how the Bible paints all of us. Outside of Christ... We are lost and we are blind. People are like sinners, uh, not are like, they, people are sinners who defy God by seeking their own way. In fact, the Bible paints it this way. Jesus says, uh, people are like the blind leading the blind. And if blind are leading the blind, both are going to fall into a pit. That's what Jesus says in Mark chapter 8. Whoever is ashamed, um, excuse me, that's not what he says in Mark chapter 8. Um, that's Mark, Matthew chapter 15, verse 14. Okay, keep that verse ready. Let me just make one more quick thing about people being lost and blind. Whenever you're tempted to do what the crowd does, remember that you are following someone and conforming to someone else who does not have your best interests at heart. Don't fall for the trap. Secondly, you don't fall for the trap because it has disastrous consequences. Listen to what Jesus says. Whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation. Now, I want you to pay attention to the, the, the way that he describes people right now. Look, this adulterous and sinful generation. Is that complimentary? Is Jesus saying good things about us? It's not a good thing, right? Whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him, the Son of Man, will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Giving into peer pressure puts you in a position to deny and reject Jesus' rulership over your life, to show allegiance not to him, but to somebody else. Fear of man causes us to deny our God in favor of making a person our God, or persons. It has disastrous consequences. Jesus says, look, if you're willing to compromise and to pretend like I, I am not God and that other person is God, look, later on, when Jesus comes back and he's full regalia of his kingliness and his glory and honor, he's going to say, oh, you rejected me, well, then I'm, I'm going to pretend I don't know you then. It's a harsh thing for Jesus to say, and it's a harsh thing for me to repeat for you, but I, got, I want you to understand that, well, people are lost and blind, that there are consequences to giving in to peer pressure. 
some of the places that peer pressure might arise for you. You, you might feel tempted as a young lady to pose or dress a certain way and put that on your platforms. As a young man, you might be tempted to act a certain way in order to, to look like an alpha male, to feel like an alpha, or to have that sense of, of being, uh, being admired and appreciated for your manliness. Um, the young men also, all of you guys, might be tempted to conform to how the world wants you to think, and that's especially pre- pre- prevalent right now. You know, recognize, though, people who are worldlings are lost and blind. There's disastrous consequences to following this, and that's not all. Galatians 1.10. Paul says, look, am I now seeking the approval of man or God? Now, notice that distinction, guys. I want you to pay close attention to this. Am I seeking the approval of man or of God? In other words, there are, there are two choices. There's only two choices. You can seek to please people or you can seek to please God. And Paul is saying, look, there's not a middle ground. If I please God, I'm likely not going to please man. If I please man, I'm certainly not going to please God. He says, uh, if I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. So if you take your faith seriously, you need to be ready to say, look, I'm going to say things to my friends and maybe my teachers that they're not going to appreciate. But because I desire to please God, I have to be willing to say those things. Let me take a guess at what one of those things might be that you haven't said yet. Have you shared the gospel with your friends lately? Have you talked about Christ? Have you shared your testimony with them? Do they know that you're even a Christian? I mean, for most of you, probably yes. But look, God calls us to be faithful to him by being willing to upset men, young men and women, for the sake of being utterly faithful to God himself. So let me put it this way. People are lost and blind. There's disastrous consequences for people pleasing, but you can't please God at the same time. You can't please people, and you can't please God at the same time, but there is an asterisk there. And in your small groups, I'm going to want you to, to look at something that Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Essentially, he says this, look, um, I make it my aim to please people. <laughs> I always try to please people. But in Galatians chapter 1, what we just read, he says, look, um, I can't seek the approval to please mankind. I, I, otherwise, I can't please God. So in your small groups, you're going to discuss the difference. And in one section, Paul says, look, I don't want to please people. I can't please people and please God. In another section, he says, look, I do everything I can to please people. What's the difference? Is Paul contradicting himself? Why or why not? But let me put it like this. Essentially, what we're getting at here is people are like, uh, pleasing God and pleasing people are like water and oil. They don't fit together. I don't know the chemical properties of each and what makes it that way, but that is the case. Now, you can't have both happening at the same time. There can't be any mixing. And the reason why is because both are antithetical. They both pursue different goals and different means. Or to use a different analogy, Jesus uses the illustration of, of light and darkness. Jesus says this, in him was, or John says this about Jesus, in him was life. And the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. You've got to realize as a Christian, if you have friends that are ungodly influences in your life, that peer pressure you into doing things that you don't want to do, that you're so different, it's the difference between light and dark. And your job as a Christian, then, is to be light to a dark world, but not to give into it, not to lessen the light, not to hide the light, Jesus says, but rather to let your light shine before others so that they may give glory to God who is in heaven. People are lost. There's disastrous consequences, and you can't please God at the same time. If you have any desire to please God, then this needs to be something on the, at the tip of your mind. One more. Actually, hang on a sec. Here we go. 
No. Don't, don't write that down. I will do it in small groups. You can write it down, but do it in small groups. Okay, there we go. Here's one more thing Jesus says. He says, look, I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body and after that have nothing more that they can do. Who's his audience, guys? Who's he talking to? He's talking to people that he loves, his friends. He says, look, friends, people that I, re- I-, I care about and want to see the best for, he says, look, don't fear those who can kill the body. People have a type of power over you. Here's the reality, young person. I don't know where the culture is going, but here's my best guess. It's not going to be better or easier for you to be a Christian in today's world or the, or the future. And so Jesus speaks to you and to me and says, look, don't worry. They may attempt to do something very painful to you physically. Now, if you've been keeping up with the news at all, there are Christians in Afghanistan right now who are likely experiencing this very thing, the threat of violence or other things upon their lives. And Jesus speaks to them and says, look, I tell you, friends, don't fear those who kill the body. If armed guys came in right now with guns ablazing and says, if you're a Christian, stand up and we're going to shoot you, Jesus would essentially say, look, stand up. Stand up and die rather than sit down and live. Don't fear those who kill the body. He says the reason why is because after this life, after the short 70 or 80 years God gives you, there's nothing more that people can do to you. Understand this. You're young and I understand you have the rest of your life ahead of you. Understand this. Your life is short. In fact, James says your life is like a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Like a spray bottle, you know, disappears. That's your life. Jesus says you need the eternal mindset so that as you think about caving into what the world wants you to do, being pressured into doing what the world wants, you need to realize that being a friend of God is far more important than being a friend to any person in the world and that when you die, the eternal years that go on after that are going to be far more important than anything that you've done in this short 70 or 80 years that God gives you. What you need to come down to and understand about this, I put it like this, really you need to realize that people possess only limited power over you. There is real power. There is money. There is a type of authority structure. They have power over your body. They could put you to prison. They can, they can take your life. They can do a lot of things to you. They can beat you up after school. They can make fun of you and ridicule you and cause people to hate you and slander you. Those are all possibilities. That's real. And if you're going to be faithful to Christ, you've got to realize that that might happen. However, Jesus would say to you, I tell you, friends, those whom he has died for and redeemed, I tell you, friends, don't fear those who can kill the body and afterward can, can do anything else to you. They can only kill you. They can only kill you. He goes on later on. He's going to tell you, look, you should fear God because God has power not only to kill your body but also to do far worse to your soul, which is eternal. Back to our text. There are downsides to fearing man, but there are far more upsides to trusting God. Take a look at the text once more. The fear of man lays a snare, but contrast, okay? So you have the the negative at the top. Fear of man is a snare. Positively, whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. Let's look look at that parallelism once more. I'm going to point something out to you. First, you got the contrast between man and the Lord, man and God, Yahweh. The first, if you fear man, there is a snare and a trap to, to, to the fear of man, But you'll notice that the contrast here is safety. There is safety with the Lord. But notice where you expect the the, the writer to say, look, 
Fear man, fear God, right? That's, the, that's kind of the, that'd be the balance that you would expect. But he doesn't do that. Instead, he says, look, fear versus what? Trust. Well, isn't that fascinating? Fearing man, being terrified of what they can do to you, being afraid of what they might say about you, being afraid of what they might, uh, how they might hinder your life. He says, look, the opposite of that is not necessarily fear of God, although that is implied. I think that's there. But he doesn't highlight that. The proverb writer says, the opposite of fear of man is a trust in the Lord. I love that. In fact, I try to put my own spin on it, okay? So here's my uh, Proverbs 29, 25, not the ESV, the PRV, Pastor Rod's version. Okay, here it goes. And hopefully it's right enough where God doesn't smite me in my, my spot here. Okay. The fear of people is a dangerous trap fraught with anxiety. In other words, when you allow yourself to fear man, that's anxiety creating. There's a lot of that there because you're naturally inclined to say, what does she think about me? What does he think about me? Am I too tall? Am I too short? Am I wearing the right clothes? Am I, do I have enough money? Do my parents drive a nice enough car to drop me off at school? Uh, when my friends come to my house, does the house look good enough to be, to be uh, 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 you know, uh, on par with where everyone else lives? Fear of people is a dangerous trap fraught with anxiety. Now, I know you all know what that's like, right? I mean, you know what it's like. Okay? However, trusting God is a safe haven of rest, comfort. Doesn't that sound good? Safe haven, rest, comfort. I think of the words like security, freedom. Um, I think of confidence, but not a, not a self-confidence, but a confidence in him. I put it like this in point number two. This is our last point for the night. We only have two points tonight. Here we go. This, the antidote to fear man is trusting God. I put it like this. Enjoy the freedom of trusting God. Enjoy the freedom of trusting. If, if fear of man is a trap that is dangerous to your soul, it causes anxiety, it causes fear and frustration, then trusting in God is freeing. It is releasing. It, is, uh, it, it gives you space to run and be free. You were designed for this. I don't know if any of y'all did this. I, in fact, I should have looked. It would have been really interesting to find out who, which of you did this. But you guys know that Instagram now allows you to hide your light cam, right? You know, you get to see that. Um, and they did that as a way to help depressurize the social media experience. In fact, they put it like this. We tested hiding light counts to see if it might depressurize people's experience on Instagram. In other words, they recognize that uh, people can have some real fear and anxiety over light counts. In fact, if I were to ask you, have you ever deleted a, a post because it didn't get enough likes or it got negative feedback? That would be a small microcosm, a small taste of what it is to, to fear man. Now, what would it be like then to simply put stuff on there and just realize, hey, this is fine. I don't have to worry about it. People are going to like it. They're going to hate it. I'm not going to sweat it. Instagram wants to help you with that. They want to remove the peer pressure, the fear of man, the people-pleasing that they've been talking about. But removing the likes doesn't fix anything. It doesn't, it doesn't actually do what they're wanting it to do because ultimately, it's our hearts that are craving, tell me I'm good. Tell me I'm worthy. Tell me that I'm likable. Like it, right? Like it. Tell me that I am someone that is worthy of your respect and approval. And if I don't get that, I'm taking it off the platform because I would rather suffer silently than have everyone watch me suffer and now know that I'm not cool enough, I'm not worthy enough. Man, that inner human ache for respect and approval will never come from people. Your real God-given desire 
to be loved and accepted unconditionally, and I guess I should qualify the word unconditionally, but you get my point here, right? That, that inner human desire to say, tell me I'm worthy. Tell me, I'm, 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 tell me I have something. Tell me that you love me. Tell me that you want me. You're never going to get that from a person. You're never going to get that from a person. Which is why people-pleasing and fearing people is such a dangerous strategy because they might for a season tell you what you want to hear, but usually there's a sense in which they're trying to use you. There's something they're going to get out of you. Rather, the goal, the goal is instead of seeking approval from man is to seek trusting in God. The problem is that our heart craves their approval. What we really need is to be released and, and free by trusting in the Lord. Let me tell you what this looks like, practically speaking. Here's how you enjoy freedom. Because I, I, I've tried to ask you, like, what does it mean to trust God? I bet you could give me a, a relatively decent definition, right? Trust God. Because we use this in our Christian culture all the time to define what it, what it means to be a Christian, to trust him. But here, here's the thing. Sometimes that can get lost in uh, the vocabulary of, okay, what does it mean to trust God? I get it. I should trust him. I should believe him. What am I believing? What am I trusting? Here's a couple things that I think would be helpful to you. Remember, the antidote to fear of man is trusting God. Here's what that might look like. First of all, you need to believe Jesus measures up where you fall short. Is that there? Yeah. Believe Jesus measures up where you fall short. I love this. I love this. Okay, listen to Paul in Romans 8, verse 1, okay? Actually, I wrote it down for you. Romans 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. When you understand what Paul says to you about this, if you're a Christian, this is for you. If you're not a Christian, I want you to become one tonight, and this is one of the reasons why. When you're in Christ, anything that you've said and done that you're guilty and ashamed about, you never have to be guilty and ashamed about ever again, because you are now accepted. There is no condemnation. The judge is never going to pound the gavel against you and say, guilty. No, you're free in Christ. You're no longer bound by your sin. And here, here's what this means for you guys. Look, all of you, and I mean adults too, struggle with fronting, okay? Instead, uh, instead of being who we really are, we're afraid if people know us for who we really are, they're going to not want to be our friends anymore. They're going to reject us. If you knew what I really thought, if you knew how I really felt, if you knew the things I've done, if you knew the things I've said, you wouldn't want to be my friend. And if you haven't felt that yet, you're not being honest with yourself. If, you're, if you haven't felt that sense of, I'm afraid people are going to reject me, you're not being honest with yourself. You need to think about yourself according to how God sees you. The Bible says that you're guilty and you're wicked and that you should be ashamed because of your sin. Now, for all of us, we know what that feels like, and we go to humans and we say, please tell me I'm okay. Please tell me I'm forgiven. Please tell me I'm redeemed. But instead of doing that, we need to go to God because Jesus himself offers a full, free forgiveness. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you were on death row and you were scheduled to die the next day and your lawyer comes in and says, look, I want you to know uh, some guy came in and he's going to die for you and he's going to make sure that you walk free and he's going to give you his whole, uh, his whole house, he's giving you his bank account, he's giving you all of the benefits and luxuries that he's accumulated through all of his life, his wise living, he's going to give that to you. You would walk out of those, that jail cell and be like, this is amazing, I'm free, I can't believe this, this is incredible, uh, uh, free. That is the freedom that Jesus offers you. Now, here's the thing. You fall short, even now. But as a Christian, you can say there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. So here's the thing. You no longer have to pretend that you have it together. You no longer have to pretend like you got it all figured out. 
You no longer have to front. There's no capping in Jesus Christ. You are who you are. Jesus told the truth about you. Jesus told the truth about you. On the cross, he said, you're wicked, you're vile, you're disgusting, and you deserve hell. However, for those who are in Christ Jesus, all of the punishment that is deserved by you was put upon him. And that means you are now free to be real. You're now free to be honest with who you are. You don't have to be an imposter. You've got to believe this. This really is the, this is the heartbeat of Christianity. Jesus measured up where you fall short. This is freedom. Sinful and yet accepted. Here's another element of this. You enjoy the freedom by trusting God, uh, by believing Jesus loves you when people hate you. Kind of already talked a little bit about this, but uh, let me try to illustrate this real quick here. Jesus loves you even though you're broken. Jesus loves you even when people give you the stiff arm and say, I don't want you here. In fact, if you think about Jesus' ministry, he deliberately went to the downcast. He went to the prostitutes. He went to the tax collectors who were the scum, the refuse of society. He went and spent time with sinners, not because he was like, hey, let's just hang out and be friends. He was calling them to repentance. Jesus was willing to love anybody. Jesus was willing to love the demon-possessed. He was willing to love the poor, the blind, the naked. He touched a leper, which would have made him ceremonially, uh, ceremonially unclean, unless for the fact that he healed him. Uh, so, Instead of the leper transmitting disease to Jesus, Jesus transmitted righteousness and healing to him. So Jesus was willing to, to interact with the dregs of society. And which is why I love the church, because th there's all sorts of different kind of people. There's the weirdos, you know, there's the well-to-dos, but Jesus is uh, he's reaching all different kinds of people. Jesus loves you even when others hate you. Jesus accepts you even though you're broken, you, you don't get it right, you're, you're, you're not the smartest, you're not the most attractive. Jesus loves people. I think about the Toy Story 4, um, Gabby Gabby. You guys remember that girl? Gabby Gabby. She was a weirdo. She had this, like she needed to be loved by somebody. Or God made her, the toy maker made her to be loved by a child. And so she thought, when I get the voice box, I'll install that, and then Harmony, the girl in the story, will love her. So you know what she does, right? She drugs Woody and steals his kidney or his voice box, <laughs> and then she puts it in her. You guys remember this part? And then... She finds her way to kind of be in Harmony's way. And Harmony finds her and picks her up, and her eyes light up, and then she pulls the drawstring, and it says, Hi, I'm Gabby Gabby, and I love you. And Harmony, the girl, her, her eyes are like, Oh, this is, this is fantastic. And then the shop owner's like, Oh, you can have her, sweetheart, if you want to take her home. And this is the moment that Gabby Gabby was waiting for, right? She has the voice box. She's put together. She put herself together in a way that she's now attractive and desirable and wanted. And the girl says, Eh, throws her in the box and goes away. Now, in the story, it's really funny because Gabby Gabby's heartbroken. She's, she's like, oh, this is awful. I, I wanted to be loved and now I'm not lovable even though I put my life together and I'm complete and I'm still incomplete because what I thought would get me love did not get me love. I mean, Pixar, man, for the win. They hit so many human elements. That, see, it's silly, but you and I are just like Gabby Gabby, right? We're trying all that we can to make people love us by adding to ourselves. We're going to be smarter. We're going to be more attractive. We're going to be more of this or that or the other thing. And all the while, Jesus is saying, look, come, no, come to me. Come to me, all who are heavy burdened or heavy uh, laden, and I'll give you rest. 
The rest that your soul wants, you find in me. You, you don't go to people for that. You come to me, and I will be the one who loves you through and through. Jesus is the faithful friend. Jesus is the one who sticks closer than a brother. Jesus is the one who's going to stand by you when your friends reject you. Jesus is the one who's going to be the one who carries you through every season of your life. When your parents die, when you lose a limb, when you get cancer, when everything goes south in your world and you hate living, Jesus will be there. He loves you even when others hate you. Jesus is awesome, guys. He's the one you need to seek freedom from. And when you understand that and you're connected to him and you're finding your security and freedom in him, you don't have to be seeking after other people's acceptance or approval. John says, see what kind of love the Father has given us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. You should expect people not to love you. In fact, I use the word hate on purpose. People might hate you as a Christian. The whole reason that they hate you is because they don't know Jesus. But notice the first part of this verse here. The reason um, they hate you is because they don't know him, but the love of the Father has been displayed toward us in giving us Jesus Christ. And that love that he displayed on the cross is what makes us children of God. You've been adopted into the family of God. You are now legal heirs if you're in Christ. You're a legal heir with Jesus Christ. And that privileged position has been granted to you not because of your works or your stellar stellar, uh, saxophone playing or your athletic career. It is strictly and solely on the grace of Jesus Christ. He is the reason that we are able to be accepted by God. Okay, one more sub-point here. How do you enjoy the freedom of trusting God? Well, you believe Jesus measures up where you, where you fall short. You believe Jesus loves you even when people hate you. And you do it by loving people instead of trying to impress them. I have this long text here, but for the sake of time, let me just highlight this. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul says, Look, even though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became like a Jew. To those under the law, I became as one under the law. Um, To those outside the law, I became like one outside the law, uh, that I might win those on the outside. To the weak, I became weak. To the strong, I became strong. All that. He says, I become all things to all people, that by all means, I might save some. I do it for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. Paul essentially says, look, I I don't have a boss. I don't have have a missionary support team. That's my, my oversight committee. He says, I'm free from all that. But that freedom lets me serve in a variety of ways, and I can be all things to all people. Paul was a social chameleon of sorts, not a people pleaser, but a social chameleon. He was able to be in different settings because he knew, look, if I can just control myself and not do things that are offensive, I can love more people. I can serve them by giving them the gospel of Jesus Christ. Here's the beauty about the Christian message, young person. When you give yourself to Christ, you are free to truly love people. Think about this. Can you truly love somebody if you're constantly craving their approval and affection? I mean, you're, in some way, you're kind of tiptoeing because like, I don't want to make you upset. I want to keep you happy. Uh, but if you're free from that, not in, a, not in a robotic way. I'm not saying like you're ever, you ever don't care. What I am saying is that you so love God that you can freely love people truly because if they're mad at you, you can live with that. Like, I don't, if, you, if you're upset with me, that's fine. I, I want to love you the way Christ calls me to love you. But if you're constantly concerned about what people are thinking about you and whether or not they're judging you in a certain way, you're never going to be able to love them the way God calls you to. The only way you can truly love people is to be divorced from their approval. Again, not in a robotic way, 
but to say, I care more about God's approval than I ever will care about your approval. You trust God by loving people instead of trying to impress them. One of the most effective pastors, and in, in, in my, my knowledge, was not, was not the most gifted guy. In fact, when this pastor preached, I was bored at like 85, 90% of the time. Like I hated going to hear a sermon. But I could not deny that he was wildly effective at reaching a ton of different people. Like people came and, and he would pack out rooms because whenever people were around him, and this is the definitive mark of this person, he cared about them. And that care was palpable. They knew it. You could feel it. And there are some people in, in your world that you know, right, that when they, when they love you, it's like, oh, man, I, I love that. It feels so pure, so genuine, so real, so satisfying, and so good. He was that. And so people would come to his terrible sermons because they loved him, and he knew that he loved them. Love is a very powerful tool in the life of the Christian. Look, interestingly enough, when you are free from other people's, from the fear of people, and you love them truly, that interestingly has a very powerful effect on the people around you. Your life suddenly has credibility and authenticity that is so rare right now. But that can only come from having a true and genuine relationship with the God who made you. Your love tank is filled by him, and that gives you the freedom to love others, to pour yourself out. Because only when he's filling up your love tank are you able to give it freely and not say, man, just someone feed me now. Someone love me back. You want that, sure, and that'd be great, but I don't need that because God's the one who's filling up my love tank. The antidote to fear of man is trusting God, and that means to know and believe that he loves you faithfully. He's the faithful friend, never going to deny you. He's the one who measures up where you fall short, and that frees you to love people instead of craving their affection and attention. Peer pressure is powerful. Let me... For the sake of time, let me just wrap it up this way here, guys. I, I know I didn't cover everything I, I could have said about peer pressure, and I know this is only the, you know, scratching the surface, but let me just say this. What I would love more than anything as a pastor is for you to have such a confidence in who you are in Christ that you could be that anywhere. You could be at school, um, you can be an ASB, you can be on the cheer squad, you could be anywhere and still be the same person because you're so confident in Jesus Christ. Instead of being afraid of what you look like, what you sound like, what people are thinking about you, when you're secure in Christ, you could be free with people. That's the goal here. The temptation of the flesh is to do what they want, to dance as they tell you to dance, you know, be a puppet, fall into the mold of the world that the world sets for you. Instead, what Christ offers is far better. Freedom, not fear. Trust, not uncertainty and insecurity and anxiety. Okay, let me pray for us and then send you off to your small groups. Thank <music> you.